Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. A happy Thanksgiving to you all as I come here on Thursday morning. Purdue won its MTE for the third straight year after taking down Marquette in the Maui Invitational Championship game last night. Now, the Boilermakers are set to be ranked number one in the AP poll for the third year in a row come Monday morning. Let's talk about all things Maui Invitational after Purdue picks up three big wins in as many days and talk a little bit about where Purdue goes from here. Plus, the football season wraps up on Saturday with the battle for the old Oaken Bucket. On the way out of this podcast, I'll preview the matchup between the Boilermakers and Hoosiers, a game that everyone is on pins and needles waiting for. If you don't already, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. A lot to talk about there, obviously. Uh, we've got the bucket game. We've got the transfer portal for football. That's getting ready to go. Signing day is near. Basketball, obviously, there's going to be a lot to talk about this year. It's going to be another fun season for Purdue fans. Come join the conversation on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, I'll be talking about Purdue basketball all year long as they go through another season that appears to be very good. Uh, going to have some football stuff coming up too, though. Going to take a look at what's next for Purdue football after the Old Oaken Bucket game wraps up this season as Purdue hopes for better outcomes in the future. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of that. But of course, the first thing to talk about here today, Purdue goes out to Maui to play in you know, what was pretty much unanimously considered the toughest MTE field of all time. You had five of the top 11 teams in the country with Kansas, Purdue, Marquette, Tennessee, and Gonzaga out there. Uh, of course, you had Chaminade playing the host, but then, you know, the, the two lesser Power conference opponents are Syracuse and UCLA, uh, about as storied of programs as it comes. So this thing was a real gauntlet, and Purdue probably got the toughest draw in this because it had to start with a fellow top 11 opponent in Gonzaga. That's what Purdue wanted. That's what, that's what every team wants. You want to go out there and you want to play the toughest games possible, because it's all about building a resume. And if you play a really good team and lose, it's not going to hurt you. It's not college football. Completely different sport. Purdue wanted the opportunity to play as many good teams as possible. So it gets past Gonzaga in the opener, uses a big second half, uh, really pulls away from that one. Braden Smith was terrific in that game. Zach Eady. Lance Jones, very good as well. Uh, Purdue really flipped that thing in the second half. Really good win. Then Purdue goes and gets Tennessee. A ugly, ugly basketball game. Two very good teams, mind you. Two very good teams, but 52 fouls called, 78 free throws shot between the two teams. Whew. It, it was rough. Uh, it, it really was a rough one to watch, but Purdue holds on in the end. Uh, Purdue gets a couple big defensive stops late. It 
didn't make free throws late, so it needed those defensive stops badly. But Purdue got that taken care of. And then in the championship game, Purdue gets out to a big lead in the first half. Lance Jones hits his half, you know, the three-quarter court shot to put Purdue up 12 at halftime, I believe it was. And Purdue needed that. Purdue needed every point of that 12-point advantage because Marquette would never go away. Every time you thought Purdue was starting to pull away, you know, Marquette would hit them with, with another couple buckets. That's a really good team. That's a really, really good Marquette team. Tyler Kolick is really good. Cam Jones, David Joplin, really good. Uh, the big guy is excellent. Uh, Igadaro, I uh, wanted to make sure I said his name right. He's excellent. Uh, that's a really good Marquette team. Very well coached. Purdue wins all three of them. And I think, you know, a couple things that make this remarkable. Obviously, these were all elite eight-plus caliber games. These are games you see on the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, on the third weekend of the NCAA tournament, meaning the Final Four and championship game. These were really, really good games. These were really good opponents. Um that that's what you do this for, you know. That's what, as, as a team, that's why you play in these things. Purdue, in the first two weeks of the season, Purdue played three games. Purdue beat Samford, Moorhead State, and Xavier. Fourteen days from that first Monday to that second Sunday, Purdue played three games, and then in like fifty, like fifty and a half hours. Purdue plays three games against top 11 opponents, and they were all very different opponents. You know, you look at what these teams like to do, and they're very different. Gonzaga and Marquette both like to get up and down, but it's a different way of doing it. Uh, Gonzaga's much less ball movement, much more one-on-one ISO type of stuff, ball screens and go. Marquette just moves the hell out of the basketball. Uh, the Marquette's really, really fun to watch on offense. That game was a blast. But Purdue did this, you know, going from Gonzaga, a very up-and-down style, the way Mark Few's teams always play, to Tennessee, which is the exact opposite of up-and-down. It's the exact opposite of what Tennessee's football program wants to be. It is slow. It is methodical. It is very defensive. It's very good mind you. It is a very good team, but it is a very different style than what Purdue played on Monday. And then Purdue moves on less than 24 hours later to play Marquette, which is completely different than what Tennessee was. That's really hard to do when you don't have a lot of prep. Now, neither team does. You know, you do some advanced scouting, but it's not like you have you know three days to really sit down, dive into the film, practice against some of their shell stuff. You don't get any of that in these tournaments. So it's a much different experience than what Purdue has, you know, in Big Ten play or even in the NCAA tournament. At least you get forty-eight hours. Essentially, not the case here. To do that, you know, someone had to win this thing. Uh, goes without saying. But for it to be Purdue, that that was really impressive. That was a really impressive performance. You know, I 
I, I always try to just get a pulse of the Purdue fan base for this podcast, know what people are saying, know what I want to talk about. And it almost felt like, you know, looking at Twitter, looking at message boards yesterday, some folks were trying to find some reasons to not be super excited. Guys, enjoy this. <laughs> enjoy this. Don't take this for granted. Um, you know, this is the third straight year Purdue has won its MTE. And of course, the last two seasons have not ended how Purdue fans want. I have no idea how this season will end. I think there's reason for optimism. I really do. But I have no clue. It You don't really know until you know. I mean... The tournament is such a you know you know you know what show that who knows but these wins don't come easily. Not many teams in America go out to Maui and do this. Not many teams, you know, are ranked number one in the country three years in a row. Purdue wasn't perfect out there. By no stretch was Purdue perfect. Purdue's got some things to clean up in the turnover game. I think especially. You know, with Braden Smith and Zach Eady, sometimes you live with their turnovers because the ball is in their hands so much, and they're so good for you. But the Mason Gillis turnovers, uh, the passes out of bounds, the live ball turnovers where Purdue gets the ball in too deep and it gets stripped from them going the other way. Purdue's got to clean that up. You're never going to be perfect the way Purdue plays, there will always be some turnovers. But, you know, having that number, like 15, 16 turnovers, let's see here. Um, Purdue had 13 of them against Gonzaga. Purdue had 16 of them against Tennessee. And Purdue had 15 of them against Marquette. So you're averaging just under 15 a game. That's too many. That number needs to be down 10, 11. There's a room for improvement there. I think Purdue can still do some things better, you know, guarding the ball one-on-one. I thought Marquette exploited some weaknesses there for Purdue. But also, at the same time, you know, Purdue's gassed. Both these teams are. You play three games in three days, and it uh, it wears on you. It, there are no legs left by the end of that. Purdue played two really high-level games. Purdue had, you know, kind of had the crap beaten out of it against Tennessee just from a physical standpoint. So I don't want to look too much into the the defensive struggles against Marquette, but I do think Purdue has some room to improve there. But a big takeaway is that there has been zero hangover from Purdue from the way that last season ended. Obviously, this team is very, you know, it's it's very, a lot of returning players from last year's team. I couldn't think of the word there. I'm sorry. Um, a lot of continuity from last year's team. Everyone but uh, Camden Height, excuse me, everyone but Miles Colvin and Lance Jones was at least on the team last year, albeit Heidi and Berg were redshirting. But those guys were all there last year in Columbus when Purdue lost to Fairleigh Dickinson. There's been no hangover, though. You know, Purdue looks like it's really out for, out for blood here. Purdue's playing really hard. Purdue's been really effective. Um, Purdue looks hungry. 
and that's exactly what you want to see. Zach Eady is still the best player in the country. He goes for 25 and 14, 23 and 10, 28 and 15 in the three games out there. Another thing, don't take it for granted. I, I talked about that so much last year. What Purdue has in him is so special. Yes, he is 7-4. And yes, you know, the the people who want to troll online are just going to say, oh, he's just tall, you know, yada, yada. But big guys don't do what he does. That tip-in to put Purdue up three late in the game yesterday, that's a really tough play to make when you're 7-4. To get your arms up like that and have the, you know, be able to tip that ball in, that's a really big-time play. He's improved a bit as a shot blocker this year, it seems. He's been really effective there. Uh, he had three blocks against Gonzaga, had a couple against Marquette. The guy is special. Really enjoy what Purdue has there right now. Uh, it looks to me that it's possible he can win back-to-back -back National Player of the Year awards, something I said I didn't think he would do. But he he has been that good early on this year, and it hasn't been the same as last year, where Purdue was really, really reliant on him. That's not been the case. Purdue needs him, obviously. Uh, he's the best player in the country. But Purdue's backcourt has really stepped up and done some nice things as well. On the backcourt, it's almost funny how things turn out sometimes. You know, after Monday's game, my mentions, Twitter, message boards, Purdue's, you know, the boilerball comments on Twitter and Instagram, folks were really upset with Fletcher Lawyer. Uh, a lot of folks wanting him benched. A lot of folks wanting him seeing significantly less minutes. And then he goes out and scores 27 points against Tennessee. Gets Purdue off to a really good start against Marquette. Those takes were a little premature. Um, both because of Fletcher Lawyer himself and because of the alternatives. Fletcher Lawyer is a really good player. He did some really nice things as a freshman last year. Early on in the year, he you know he won Purdue that game at Nebraska, not single-handedly, but he played a huge role in it. He was fantastic. He was really good out in Oregon for Purdue last year. That Martin Luther King Day game at Michigan State, he he was massive for Purdue down the stretch. Started to wear down towards the end. Such is life for a freshman in the Big Ten. A little bit different than playing in the Summit Athletic Conference up in Fort Wayne. But he looked really good. He looks comfortable. And when you look at the alternatives, look, it wasn't a great tournament for the two freshmen. And that's to be expected. You know, this is really high-level competition. Miles Colvin hit a couple of big-time shots for Purdue on Monday. Uh, he, he helped Purdue put that thing away with a couple of threes late. But you saw both in the Tennessee game and in the uh, Marquette game, you know, Heidi and Colvin both go scoreless in those games. Uh, they both had their moments on defense where they, they struggled a little bit. You know, there was a stretch against Marquette where Heidi picked up like two or three fouls in a row on defensive possessions. 
uh, Colvin, you know, got matched up on Kolak and Cam Jones a couple times and, you know, it didn't go well. Um, that's okay. You know, it, it's okay to ease these guys into things. And that's what Purdue has really been doing, especially with Colvin. Purdue's keeping things really simple. It's not putting too much on his plate. It's just telling him to go out there and score when the ball finds you. And that's okay. But let him ease into things. He doesn't have to be a starter from day one. He'll get there. Uh, there's no doubt. No one was calling for a lawyer to be benched for Ethan Morton. But, you know, when Purdue needed Ethan Morton to really play his role, the guy did it. You know, look at that last, uh, last Tennessee possession. Tennessee's up by, or down by four, I believe, and Purdue subs in Ethan Morton to go guard whoever catches the ball off the inbound. Plays fantastic defense, dude airballs a shot, wasn't close. You know, Fletcher Lawyer after the game dropped an F-bomb in, in regards to it, but he said Ethan Morton was ready to win. And that that's what Ethan Morton does. I know fans don't love him as an offensive player. You know, I know he airballed a three against Marquette, uh, and that was his only shot attempt of the Maui Invitational. But there's value to what he brings. There's value to what all these guys bring. Braden Smith is really, really good. Um, you know, you look at, he had a down game against Tennessee. He struggled. I, I wondered, he got poked in the eye really early in that game. I wondered how much that lingered, if at all. I have no clue. I'm just kind of spitballing here. But he did not have a great game there. Just two for nine from the field, two for six from the foul line. Really bizarre stuff. But even in a bad game, you know, still brought down five boards, still had three steals. But in the first game, 13 points on six of eight shooting, four boards, six assists, five steals. In the championship game, 18 points, five boards, five assists. He is as true of a point guard as Purdue has ever had under Matt Painter, but he can also score. You know, you saw him confidently drill like three or four threes in a row uh, to start that game against Marquette. He does not take many bad shots, especially jump shots. And that's really encouraging. His decision-making with the ball, both when to, when to shoot it, when to try to score, and when to pass it, has been really good this year. Uh, what, what he's doing is, is really, really big time. Uh, he's going to be all Big Ten this year. I, I feel quite confidently about that. Whether he has the stats to be like a first-team all-conference guy or not, I don't know. But he's going to have a massive year he he's got an unreal future ahead of him in West Lafayette. By the time he gets out of there, you know, he's going to be in the in the lore of the Robbie Hummels, of the Chris Kramers, uh, the guys like that that Purdue fans just dream about over and over again. You saw Lance Jones be a pretty big difference maker. Um, great game for him against Gonzaga. He played a massive part in Purdue just flipping that thing straight out of the locker room at halftime. He just brings a different a different burst. He does. He can push the ball up the floor. He helps Purdue, you know, with ball handling and alleviating pressure. Good defender. You know, he and Ethan Morton are clearly your two best on ball defenders. 
he's been a huge addition. Um, yes, you know, he had the 75 footer to end the half against Marquette, but he's more than that. He, he's been an excellent addition for Purdue. He clearly looks like Purdue's best transfer addition. Boy, I mean, you can go back to Willie Dean if you want. That's probably how far you're you're going back because he's been excellent. Um, just really spitting out some thoughts here. I don't know that we got a ton of more clarity on the four spot, but you have to give all three of those guys credit. Trey Kaufman, Ren, Caleb First, Mason Gillis. They are all going out there, and they are all playing as hard as they can for every minute they're out there. I don't know that we got any more clarity. Uh, the Trey Kaufman, Ren, Zach Eady thing, it, it's been working fine. You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, Trey Kaufman, Ren, knocking down that three against Marquette was really nice. If he can do that, and, you know, he didn't against Gonzaga, he looked really uncomfortable on a couple of jumpers there. So we'll see. But I get why Matt Painter wants that to work because Trey Kaufman Wren is absolutely, you know, the best offensive player out of he, Gillis, and First. That's not really debatable. Um, Caleb First is doing some really nice things defensively. He's, you know, he he's playing really hard. Mason Gillis was everywhere against Marquette on the floor, going after loose balls. They're playing really hard, and they're giving you everything you could want next to Zach Eady, because that position is not going to be one where you're getting twenty plus points a night. It's just not going to be the case. You have Zach Eady in the middle. You have Braden Smith. You have Lance Jones and Fletcher Lawyer you're not going to be getting a ton of scoring from there, no matter who you have out there, you know, unless you have Kevin Durant or something playing the four, but Purdue's doing some really good things there. You're, you're getting what you need. And that's really important. I I don't know that Purdue's going to settle on some, you know, one guy to play 25 minutes there and that's okay. You know, just to wrap this thing up, um, Purdue's going to be the number one team in the country on Monday for the third straight year. And the whole, you know, quote, the the line that keeps going around is Purdue's the November national champions again. And it's quite the backhanded compliment, but it is rather remarkable that, you know, at this time two years ago, November 23rd, 2021, Purdue had never been ranked number one in the AP poll in the history of its men's basketball program. Now, this is the third straight year that Purdue will be ranked number one. That's pretty crazy. Um, Purdue's resume is incredible to this point. You know, it's played six games, four power conference opponents. Three of them are inside the top nine, top 11 at Ken Palm right now. Uh, Marquette is six, Gonzaga nine, Tennessee 11. What's there to say? Uh, Purdue is off to an excellent start. Enjoy it. Um, Purdue still has some big-time games left in the non-conference, which I think is really good. Um, In case you haven't noticed, the Big Ten doesn't look great this year. I'm excited this afternoon to see what Michigan State does against Arizona. That game will probably be already completed by the time you're listening to this because Hopefully, you're not just spending your Thanksgiving listening to my podcast, but 
that's going to be a big test for Michigan State because it hasn't looked good so far. Michigan looked good early on, then lost to Long Beach State, lost to Memphis yesterday. Don't love what I've seen from Wisconsin. Indiana looks limited. Uh, I haven't seen Ohio State. Maryland looks terrible. Uh, I watched Illinois struggle against Valpo. As much as I love the Beacons, they're not very good. So we'll see on Illinois. But you know, to get to the point here, the Big Ten doesn't look particularly good. So Purdue's getting some really big opportunities early on. We'll see how many quad one games there are in the Big Ten. We'll see how many of Purdue's home games are quad one in the Big Ten. Uh, the away games will be fine, but Purdue's getting some good opportunities early on. You know, now you look at it. Purdue has Texas Southern next week, then Northwestern Iowa to open up Big Ten play. Northwestern on the road, Iowa and Mackey, then up to Toronto to play Alabama, then to Indianapolis to play Arizona, then a couple of bye games, and then Big Ten play. Uh, the, you know, the 18 game stretch of big 10 play. So here it is. Um, we're hitting the ground running. Purdue's off to a great start. And, you know, there's always going to be that, that notion that lingers that, all right, well, let's see it in the NCAA tournament. As I said, to start the season, there is nothing you can do to make March get here faster. It's November 23rd. Selection Sunday is March 17th. It's a long way away. Uh, you know, the second round will start, uh, what is that, four months from today. Got a long way to go. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but, you know, to, to quote former Cubs manager Joe Madden, don't let the pressure outweigh the pleasure. Talked about that all year in 2016 when the Cubs won it all. Kind of the deal for Purdue here. There is an immense amount of pressure. By watching Purdue's team, you wouldn't know it, but by living in the Purdue sphere that we all operate in, it's obvious. But try to enjoy it because there's going to come a day where Purdue fans are longing for this. I don't know whether that'll be next year. I don't know whether that'll be five years from now. I don't know if it'll be 20 years from now. But there will come a day where Purdue's struggling and fans are thinking back to what Purdue did in Portland when Purdue was number one three years in a row. Um, fans will be remembering this with pretty high regard someday. Enjoy it in the moment. All right, from a number one basketball team to a football program that is not number one, Purdue finishes up the regular season against Indiana on Sunday or on Saturday. Uh, Going to be a little abbreviated preview here. We're already at 27 minutes. And, uh, you know, let's face it. There's just not that much to say about this. Three and eight Purdue, three and eight Indiana, just like the good old days uh, back in the '80s, '90s, when these teams were not so good. Noon kickoff on BTN. Going to be a chilly afternoon inside Rossaid Stadium. Final game of the 2023 season. Look, neither team is particularly good. Uh, Defensively, both teams rank towards the bottom of the conference in every statistical category. I know Purdue's dead last in pass defense. I think Indiana's dead last in pass or in rush defense. Let's see here. Um, 
see if I can find it. Uh, Indiana 13th in rush defense, Purdue 10th. Uh, they are 11th and 14th in defensive efficiency, the worst two teams against the pass in the Big Ten, and uh, the worst two teams in scoring defense in the Big Ten. They allow the most points per game. Hoof, not great. Um, they're better than that on offense. Purdue's fifth in the Big Ten in scoring, which tells you a lot more about the Big Ten than it does Purdue. But long story short, neither of these teams are particularly good. Look, I IU is what it is. Uh, Brendan Soresby kind of won the quarterback competition mid-year. He's a nice little game manager. 11, uh, 12 touchdowns, two picks. The running game should be better than it is. Uh, the offensive line's not great, but you know IU's got a number of running backs that they can throw out there, can get you some yards. Jalen Lucas is the guy to watch. He's kind of underutilized. IU doesn't get him the ball a ton, but he's got game-changing ability with the ball in his hands. Uh, run game, pass game, return game. He's really dynamic. Uh, he's the guy you really need to keep an eye on. They do have a good receiver, too, in Donovan McCauley. You'll remember him as a quarterback recruit who Purdue was after quite a bit. Uh, Purdue ended up taking Sam Jackson, who did not stick with Purdue. Uh, McCauley goes to IU, starts at quarterback as a true freshman, then transitions to wide receiver, where he's been pretty good. Had a massive game against Illinois a couple weeks ago. Big body out there. I expect IU to get him involved quite a bit. Defensively, IU's not very good. Uh, they are very transfer heavy, and they've got a few good ones. Um, but as a whole, it's it's not a particularly great defense. There's a reason both teams are three and eight here. And with that, you know, outside of state pride, it's not like this game means a ton. There isn't really a difference between three and nine and four and eight, if you ask me. Uh, it's going to be a disappointing season, nonetheless, for Purdue. Um, and on the the other side, you know, it's a very disappointing season for Indiana. What they do with Tom Allen, I have no idea, and that's that's probably the biggest storyline going into this because IU's going to need to make a decision on that, like Sunday or Monday. Uh, that. That decision's probably already been made. I, I doubt they're going to change their decision based off what happens in the old Oak and Bucket game. But Indiana did the right thing in 2020 when it gave Allen an extension because based off everything you knew at that time, I, you'd gone like 8-4 and four the year prior, then had the big COVID year. Such is life in college sports. Uh, I, you bet big, and it lost. But that's kind of the business that the sport operates in. You know, Purdue bet big on Jeff Brom after 2018. And in 2019 and 2020, you had some reasons for skepticism. It ultimately proved to be the right bet in 2021-2022. Purdue combines to win 17 games. But such is life. Um, IU's got a decision to make. For Purdue, you do have the opportunity here to finish the season strong by winning both your trophy games. If there's a silver lining to this, Purdue could say it beat Illinois, kept the Purdue cannon for the th fourth straight year, and it could say it beat Indiana, 
to keep the old oaken bucket for the third straight year. There's your kind of silver lining there. Uh, that would be really positive. It would give Purdue a little bit of momentum to close the season on. I don't think it means much because there's going to be a ton of roster turnover, but it gives fans something to be happy about. And at least, you know, hopefully you can come away with some positives that, you know, give everyone, you know, uh, get that sour taste out of fans' mouths heading into the winter. Um, three questions for this, you know, Purdue's health is number one. We saw last week what Purdue looked like without Hudson Card, uh, Nick Scorton as well, but you know much, much lesser impact because Corday Sidnor is a pretty good replacement. Um, Ryan Walters has said that Card is going to go this week. He said he expects him to play. Said he looked good in practice. Obviously, you need him to go. Um, if, if Hudson Card can't play. I have my doubts about what Purdue can do in this game, but if he can, you know, again, this is probably a game Purdue should win. Uh, if you're, you know, if you think you're really on the right path, you're getting better throughout the season. Probably a game you should win. Um, so, how healthy is he? Is he a hundred percent? Can he use his legs? We've seen that be a pretty big difference this year. When he's able to move around, Purdue's offense is a lot more effective. You saw it against Illinois a little bit. You saw it against Syracuse where Purdue's offense was fine outside of all the fumbles. Uh, you certainly saw it against Minnesota. If he's a, if he's healthy, that's a huge get for Purdue. Obviously, Scorton's fantastic. You want to see him finish the year strong. So Purdue's health is question number one. I say it every week, you know, we getting any more time for some of these young guys. Um, it's, it's the last chance to get a look before you hit the transfer portal. Purdue's doing it on defense a bit. Zion Steptoe now listed as a starter at corner. What does he give you? Um, you know what you have in Dylan Thieneman. Will Helt saw the field some more last week. Do you get a little more of him out there uh, on offense? Jerron Tibbs, George Burhan. How about those guys? Um, curious to see what Purdue does there. And anyone else, you know, you never know. Um, Purdue's happy to play these young guys quite a bit, though. Uh, and see what it has because, you know, again, things get real here in a couple of days, you know, on, on Monday, December 4th, when that transfer portal opens. And speaking of the transfer portal, a rather lame final question, but will TJ Sheffield suit up for Purdue on Saturday? I assume not, as he announced that he was entering the transfer portal on Wednesday morning. Um, a little bit odd timing, uh, no doubt. You know, I, I don't I don't know why he's entering the portal now instead of after the Indiana game, but to each their own. Uh, it's the first of many. I, I can assure you of that. Purdue's going to have a lot of portal turnover this year. Um, I don't know that, you know, losing guys who were, were starters for you is what you want, but, you know, at the same time, some of it's just going to happen. Um, we'll see where he ends up. I, I don't know. See someone who can get a power five spot. We'll see, but this is the first of many. Purdue's going to have a lot of turnover here. Uh, Purdue's just got to hold on to the guys it wants to hold on to, and I'm going to talk about that in a lot more detail on Sunday. Um, look, this is it. This is the last game of the year. Purdue's first year under Ryan Walters has not gone how it hoped. Credit to Purdue fans. 
They are filling the stands. It sounds like there's less than 1,000 tickets left for the bucket game on Saturday. See how full it actually is. But Purdue fans have been great all year. Purdue fans really seem to be you know, keeping the faith, so to speak, in Ryan Walters, at least through year one. We'll see if Purdue fans can get rewarded with a win. I will lean yes. I'll go Purdue 24, Indiana 21. And, you know, Purdue can hold on to the bucket and at least take that with them into what's going to be a massive, massive offseason as Purdue tries to flip this roster to compete when the Big Ten gets a heck of a lot tougher next year. I've got a couple questions queued up for Sunday's postgame podcast, but please send over your Purdue football questions or basketball. We'll get to those two eventually. Uh, you can tweet them to me, at Boilers Beyond. Tweet, DM, either way. Email them to me, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. I appreciate all of you for listening. Thank you very much. I am quite thankful for the audience we have here. Uh, you guys are great. I really appreciate everyone who listens to this. I am thankful for you on this Thanksgiving day. I hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving days, had a wonderful day, and I hope you all enjoyed Purdue's run to the Maui Invitational title. A lot of fun for Purdue fans. That was a fun week. Um, I'll be back here on Sunday to break down the bucket game and look ahead at what's next for Purdue football, but in the meantime, safe travels to those of you coming into West Lafayette on Saturday. Take care and happy Thanksgiving to you all.